From the Free Speech Project at Georgetown University, this is Speaking Freely. I'm Sanford Unger. In this, part four of our series on whistleblowers, national security, and the First Amendment, we're going to hear from Washington Post media columnist Margaret Sullivan. She helps steer us through the issues we've been talking about. There's a lot of gray area when it comes to national security revelations and and leakers. There's it's not a black and white world and it's not a world that has a manual that can be followed. In part 1, we heard about how the First Amendment protects the rights of journalists to publish even classified documents, while whistleblowers who may have provided them the material have no similar protections. In part two, we discussed modern-day whistleblowers from Daniel Ellsberg to Chelsea Manning and Edward Snowden. And finally, in part three, we talked about where we go from here as we attempt to deal with the complex information and privacy issues of the digital era. I began my conversation with Margaret Sullivan in July 2019 by asking how the role of whistleblowers has changed over the past five decades since Daniel Ellsberg leaked the Pentagon Papers. Well, I think it's actually become more important in in recent years since 9-11 because uh, since that time there's been uh, an excuse and perhaps a, a good reason on some levels to make a lot of government information classified. So we have these vast troves of classified information now that might not have been classified in the past, and it it comes down to whistleblowers or leakers or whatever you want to call them, sources in many cases, to break through what could be a very opaque situation and through bringing things to the news media, tell citizens what they really need to know about what their government is doing. And I think that's something that has become a much more acute situation since since 9-11 and since the Patriot Act. You know, there's a dichotomy that's emerged. A lot of people, and and not just President Trump, say journalists, reporters, uh, in President Trump's terms, the enemies of the people can sit on their high horses and do what they want to do and uh, make their own judgments about what might harm national security and what might not. And meanwhile, the so-called whistleblowers, the people inside, who are generally, we think, motivated by the public interest, undergo a lot of stress and tension and fear and intimidation about what they do. Is that an unfair description of what happens? Well, I do think that the worst consequences so far have been for the leakers and the whistleblowers, that they take a great risk when they decide that going through channels in some appropriately deemed way is not going to be effective in revealing illegality or, or things that citizens should know about what their government is doing and decide to, in essence, take things into their own hands and bring things out. They take a great risk, and we've seen that all kinds of, uh, or many, government whistleblowers have suffered great consequences. And we've seen careers ruined and lives ruined because of the consequences. So far, journalists have not uh, suffered nearly as badly, although someone like James Risen from the New York Times had years of his life taken up with the government going after him 
uh, in court because of his relationship with a leaker who was being prosecuted. So it's not as if journalists have have sort of gotten off scot-free, but they haven't had, they've had more protection, frankly, than the whistleblowers themselves have had. Right. There are a few states, I think, that still have or now have shield laws protecting reporters' sources. But of course, that means nothing on the federal level. It's it's just in a few states. Do you think that there could be any traction behind a movement to give whistleblowers greater protection? I mean, at the moment, their motivations can't even be entered into evidence when they're brought into court and tried for their alleged violations of the Espionage Act, for example. Yeah, that's right. I I think that, you know, Snowden, Edward Snowden has made this case that people say, well, you need to come back and face the consequences of what you did. And the point he's made is that under the Espionage Act, I can't even explain to the court or to the people uh, why I did what I did. And so that's, you know, certainly a problem. I would love to see that changed. And it's interesting to see the Espionage Act. It's it's appalling, actually, to see the Espionage Act used the way it has been. And it was normalized, not under President Trump, who we think of as being so antithetical to the media, but under President Obama. That's right. Uh, he prosecuted more people for leaks than all other presidents before him combined. Right, and in so doing, dragged some journalists uh, in into it as well. Uh, confusingly, both James Risen and James Rosen, who at the time was right. at Fox, and Risen was, was at the New York Times. So President Trump's... Um, policies and and certainly his rhetoric against the news media potentially bring this to a new level, uh, and a very worrisome one. Do you see any practical route toward uh, whistleblower protection law? You know, it, it, it's it's a weird thing. I think that there can be laws on the books, and I'm not sure how well they play out in in real life. I mean, look, for example, at what's happened to Reality Winner, who uh, the yes. former NSA contractor who admits now that she did wrong in leaking information, apparently, to The Intercept. I don't know whether that's uh, officially acknowledged or not, but, you know, she's serving a five-year jail sentence. And it's pretty extreme. She's a 26-year-old woman, and I think was 24 or 25 at the time when she leaked the information. I, I wonder whether really the, the answer is less through enacting new laws, and, and at least in part through trying to educate people about the role of whistleblowers, the role of leakers, the role of the press— because I think this is something that tends to get played out in the court of public opinion as much as the court of law. Sure. Of of course, as we know, over the years, over the decades, many government officials, high government officials, Henry Kissinger is one who's often mentioned, uh, intentionally leaked information to promote their policies, did exactly what other people are accused of and, and tried for. It seems to matter primarily how high your rank is, whether you get persecuted or prosecuted for it. That's right. And, you know, there's a there's also a sort of 
a system in place, although an unacknowledged one, that leaking information to the press is sort of part of the process. It's part of how citizens get informed, particularly in a situation in which so much information is classified, overclassified. So, you know, there's a kind of um, a shrugging or a looking away or allowing it to happen or even, even approbation uh, for leakers of, of a certain ilk. And then when they are outside the bounds of that, the penalties can be very, very harsh. Stepping back a little further, Margaret, why do you think there seems to be such hostility toward the media now? When when President Trump refers to the media as enemies of the people, um, that seems to be a line that resonates for him. He certainly has not hesitated to keep it up and seems to think that his supporters in the country will will approve. Will be will be glad to hear him using that terminology. Well, I think they do approve to a large extent. You know, there's a professor at NYU, Jay Rosen, who's who's terrific on these issues, and and he said that President Trump's brand promise to his followers is about the press is watch, we'll put these people down for you. And I think that's just what he's done. You know, he has singled out the press as part of the cultural elite that he urges and fans the flames uh, of his followers to dislike and to resent. And it's taken root. It's it's working. There was a, a recent poll and a, and a respectable one that surveyed uh, both Democrats and Republicans. And Republicans... Uh, uh, felt strongly, 51%, when given the choice of whether the press was the enemy of the people or an important part of democracy, more of them, more of the Republicans who were surveyed said enemy of the people. And so it's a message that's getting through. It's one that was felt before and now has been built upon. And I think that it's, it's a core part of President Trump's appeal I mean, I'm very sorry to say that. It, it's it's disturbing. I think it's wrong. But there it is. What does it say about the future of independent journalism? And, uh, and especially, I think, some of that which is not so much in the public glare. I mean, local journalism, for example, where you started your career. What does this say about the uh, the future of journalism in America? Well, one interesting thing is that local journalism is still pretty trusted, uh, much more so than the big, evil, supposedly national news media. People do tend to trust their local news sources. Unfortunately, those local news sources, particularly newspapers, which are the, the core of it, are suffering badly because the business model has gone awry <laughs> based on it was based on print advertising and print advertising has largely gone away in the internet age so the very news sources that are most trusted and that could actually help bring us through this crisis are weakened and it's not just newspapers that have gone out of business it's newspapers that have cut their staff so deeply that they can't even cover their communities anymore so i find it to be very troubling however there is a bright side which is that there's a lot of great journalism being done right now and that's been true for many years and it's certainly true both on the local and national level at many, many news outlets. I mean, all you have to do is think about the recent arrest of Jeffrey Epstein, the sex uh, alleged right. sex trafficker, 
and you you can attribute uh, a great deal of that. Even the federal prosecutor attributed a great deal of that to investigative journalism, and though he didn't name it, he was talking about the Miami Herald largely. Right. Um, there was a reporter at the Miami Herald who stayed on that case and for and years. I think, and I, for years, and I think there's evidence that she had some whistleblowers on the inside. Who That's were right. Tipping her off to what was what was happening. That's among, right. Amongst the prosecutors. So, you know, when you look, for example, as just one measure of this, when you look at what wins Pulitzer Prizes on the local level, there's incredibly impressive work being done. And there is great work being done by the Washington Post, the New York Times, the Associated Press, the Wall Street Journal on the news side. And others. So I think there's a lot of terrific investigative and enterprise and national security journalism happening. So it's a very mixed bag uh, when it, there's a lot to worry about and there's a lot to feel encouraged about. Quite a change on the national level from the days of Watergate when journalism seemed to reach its apogee, its, mm-hmm. its heights because of the reporting especially by Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein and many others as well, about about Watergate. And they were seen not as the enemies of the people then, but as the as Champions, the that's the right. People. And, you know, interestingly, you're, you're absolutely right that the trust in the news media in recent decades or the past five or six decades reached its peak in the late 70s after the revelations of the Pentagon Papers and after the revelations of Watergate, people really felt like the news media was the watchdog that they wanted it to be. And it's, of course, declined precipitously since then. But there is research that shows that even though people think the news media may be biased or they don't like what is being reported or said, they still think that there's an important role and this is a majority opinion, that there's an important watchdog role, accountability role that people appreciate and want in the press. So I think the more we can emphasize and do that role, the better off we'll be and the more respect we'll be able to engender. One last point about uh, the national security angle here. This woman called Tricia Newbold, political appointee, not a political holdover, but a civil servant, in the White House and the National Security Council, who blew the whistle, as it were, on the fact that although some of the national security uh, apparatus had been inclined to deny security clearances to certain people related to President Trump and and some others in the Trump administration, that they were just overlooked and that access to security information was, was granted. Um, I'll bet there are hardly any Americans who know Tricia Newbold's name or who realize the sacrifices she made to make a point publicly that she thought was important. Certainly her name isn't well known and, and probably never will be. It takes incredible courage to be a whistleblower. You need to know that you're taking a real risk with your own life and your family's life. There's likely to be retribution. And it takes a very, it takes a person of character and someone who's really brave to go forward with it. They're human beings. Sometimes they make mistakes of judgment. Maybe there are things that they should not have revealed, but felt in the moment that they should. You know, it's, it's a, 
there's a lot of gray area when it comes to national security revelations and and leakers. There's it's not a black and white world and it's not a world that has a manual that can be followed. Of course it's so much harder to keep secrets now than it ever was before. So many sources, so many possible leaks. It's like a an old pipe that springs leaks very often, isn't it? It is. It's 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 probably easier to leak, and it's also, I think, probably easier to get caught. So uh, that's a double-edged sword. Margaret Sullivan is the media columnist for the Washington Post. She's also served as the public editor for the New York Times and editor of the Buffalo News. And with that conversation, we've concluded our series on journalists, whistleblowers, and the First Amendment. This is Speaking Freely, a production of the Free Speech Project at Georgetown University. To discover more about these issues and to learn about the work of the Free Speech Project overall, visit our website at freespeechproject.georgetown.edu. When you're on the site, be sure to check out our Free Speech Tracker. It's an online tool for monitoring free speech challenges and controversies across the United States in education, civil society, and government. Thanks for listening to this edition of Speaking Freely. We hope you'll join us again. I'm Sanford Unger.